Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on women's football, as CAF has launched a women's football strategy, calling it the dawn of a new era for the women's game on the continent. The plan includes accelerating the growth of the women's game at all levels across Africa. We hear from Morocco, where a big project has begun to promote and develop women's football. Players will have their professional contracts, so they will be paid every month, and of course, the football federation will uh, financially support the clubs. Plus, Stuart on newly promoted Leeds United and a look at the transfer market in Europe. First, good to see former DR Congo captain Gabriel Zakuani launching an initiative to develop more black managers and coaches in England. Defender Zakuani is currently playing for non-league side Dagenham and Redbridge. His scheme has support and financial backing from the English Professional Footballers Association. And on the theme of more opportunities for black coaches, Tottenham boss Jose Mourinho has confirmed that the club's former captain Ledley King will join his coaching staff next season. Now, a few weeks ago, the Confederation of African Football launched a women's football strategy with the hashtag It's Time, It's Now, calling it the dawn of a new era for women's football on the continent. The plan for an initial four-year period has five main priorities. That's development, competitions, marketing and promotion, professionalization and leadership, and social impact. Now, development includes accelerating the growth of the women's game at all levels across Africa by giving more playing opportunities for women and girls and more training for technical staff. Now, Morocco has launched a big project to promote and develop women's football in the kingdom. And I found out more from Planet Sport Football Africa's Jalal Bonoir in Casablanca in Morocco. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. Yes, uh, it's uh, a, the agreement of uh, objectives between the Football Federation and the National Technical Directorate has just been signed. And it aims at creating a professional football championship for both divisions, uh, in addition to launching a national championship for under-17, and this is very important. Uh, also, creating other regional youth categories championship across Morocco. So let me tell you that this project aims at increasing mainly the number of players and uh, providing them with professional contracts to ensure uh, their financial stability. So uh, the target is to get, according, of course, to, to this big project, ambitious project, is to get around 90,000 women playing the game by 2024 and to train uh, around 10,000 women to coach at women's clubs. So uh, more focus will be on the two-tire professional championships in which players will have their pro contract professional contracts, so they will be paid every month. And, of course, the Football Federation will uh, financially support the club. So this is a big project here in Morocco. And uh, the government also wants to uh, promote uh, women's football and the Federation in collaboration with, with the 
the national technical directorate and also and also the the national women's league all of them want to invest in women's football not only in big cities like Casablanca Rabat Fez and Marrakesh but, but no even in remote areas across all Morocco well that sounds absolutely huge uh, Jalal what did you have up to this point in terms of women's football yeah the situation was not that good mainly in terms of female players don't find themselves as they are having a career in football i mean so this uh, this project uh, aims mainly at providing them with a professional contract we have like the uh, a top uh, championship i mean the first division cha- championship with 12 clubs maybe we have one club that is dominating all the years winning all the titles which is farabat farabat but i think uh, according to this project morocco wants to to have uh, more clubs competing with farabat in order to represent morocco in the the new champions league of women's football created and launched recently by the confederation of african football so is all of this coming from this new caf women's football strategy Yes, yes, it's within the this big project of CAF. So women's football is today one of the top priorities of CAF. The African football body has put up uh, also an ambitious four-year plan that will take the women's game uh, maybe to the next level and that's what we, what we are waiting for. It's uh, uh, CAF has announced plans to start uh, a women's club competition in 2021. I mean here the Champions League so the decision in Morocco came within this big project by CAF and CAF officials have already explained that this is the decision to create a Champions League uh, uh for uh, for female clubs is just to push the national associations and federations to invest more in women's football the Moroccan Football Federation of course wants to have a a good representation in this new uh, championship i mean the africa the champions league uh, not only in in number but to see professional clubs uh, competing competing with south african nigerian and other african clubs well it sounds very exciting for women's football in morocco and uh, there in morocco you're going to be hosting a mini tournament for the semi-finals and final of the caf confederation cup uh, that's at the end of next month so tell us how this will work jelal especially with the covid-19 precautions yeah uh, yeah morocco will host the remaining games of the confederation cup it's now official that mohammed the fifth stadium in casablanca here in casablanca will host the first semi-final between uh, Pyramids and Guinea's Horia on September 22. Uh, the second semi-final will take place on the same in Rabat Stadium, Berkan against uh, Hassania, it's all a Moroccan affair. The final is set to take place on September 27 in Rabat. And I think there will be no problem since the games will be played behind closed doors uh, already we have resumed the Moroccan league and games are being played without any problem it's for sure that this decision uh, was taken following the proposal made by the president of the Moroccan football federation mr fawzi lakja and of course his proposal that was approved by caf uh, came in accord with the local authorities all right i don't think there will be any problem because the government also is is here 
the government wants, of course, to host this, this, the remaining games of this uh, championship. So will the players be in isolation for this Confederation Cup mini-tournament? I think, yes. I think they must come to Morocco uh, at least uh, two weeks before the tournament. And uh, I think um, the, the Moroccan Football Federation, in collaboration with health officials here in Morocco, they will provide uh, centres, they will provide medical assistance at the centres that will accommodate the four clubs. Already, Renaissance, Berkan and Hassania get here, the two clubs, that are reaching the semi-finals. They are playing here in Morocco. They are playing the Moroccan remaining games of the of the Moroccan league. And the Egyptian team and the Guinean team will join them. So I think Mohammed the sixth center in Rabat will accommodate these clubs and provide all the necessary conditions. And of course, as Kaf said, and the Moroccan Football Federation has already said that the games will be played under strict uh, health uh, measures, conditions, and this is good in order to finish and to resume this championship. And just finally, Jalal, with your league underway now in Morocco, uh, what sort of precautions are happening with uh, COVID-19? Is there testing for the players? Are they staying at home or staying together in uh, a team hotel? Yeah, generally they are staying at uh, teams' hotels. Uh, from time to time we hear that there are some two cases or three cases within a club. But I think that uh, the Minister of Health and the Moroccan authorities, uh, as they signed like uh, uh, an agreement with the Moroccan Football Federation to be there whenever it's necessary. So they are helping in providing the medical support to the clubs. And whenever there is like a case, the, they are isolated. Those, uh, those who are affected are isolated. And others, they go to play the football, the, the football games without any problem. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Jalal Bonoir in Casablanca in Morocco. I was speaking to him on Zoom. Interesting that they've got things under control now and that the league is back on in the COVID-19 era and the Confederation Cup mini tournament preparations do look very good. Let's go back to the women's football situation. Uh, Morocco has much more money in football than most African countries. They've got cash from TV rights and a lot of support from government. Uh, But that's still pretty amazing, Ida. We're talking of thousands of female footballers getting salaries. Well, honestly, it's something that's quite unheard of, and especially in most parts of uh, sub-Saharan Africa, Steve, where it seems that the girls play more out of passion than anything else, you know, such as making a livelihood. Well, Morocco will offer the 14 top flight teams up to $130,000 monthly, uh, that is for each club to help pay, you know, salaries of the players and the technical bench. As for the second tier sides, well, they are 30 in number and they will be divided into two zones. So, you know, 15 each and uh, they will get $86,000 while the regional league, Steve, will receive um, just a little over $10,000. So we're seeing some really revolutionary ideas and especially if implemented. Uh, additionally, Steve, the sides will have youth teams and uh, the teams must have a woman as the assistant coach as bare minimum if the head coach is male, while the under 15 sides, well, the technical staff must be all female. Steve, as well, the country's budget for women's football has multiplied six 
fold from last season's budget of just 1 million euros. So there's a lot of positive stuff that's happening. It's really good to see Morocco creating an atmosphere, Steve, that will nurture talent within. And Jalal has mentioned the Federation Technical Director. Well, his name is Ossian Roberts. And it's said that a lot of what's happening currently can be credited to Roberts, who is said to have brought in a really you know, refreshed perspective uh, since his appointment that was back in September 2019. Roberts, of course, came in from Wales, where he was assistant coach under several managers, uh, most notably Ryan Giggs. And the move currently happening in Morocco is serving to break a lot of stereotypes as well in the process, Steve. North Africa has traditionally been a football giant within the continent. Yes, definitely. Uh, but look, not much can be said about the women's game, which has existed in the shadows of, you know, frankly, a very conservative environment. And I'll give you a perfect example in 2019. So Egypt hosted the men's AFCON. That was definitely a highlight for many that year. Yet, ironically, It was happening in the backdrop of the women's national team having not played a game since 2016. The women's national team at the time was unranked. So you can see the contrast of both situations. So going back to Morocco, is the project ambitious? Yes. But I really do like and respect the fact that unlike the CAF strategy, Steve, Morocco's is quite specific. Yes, it looks very solid. And these are interesting times for women's football in Africa. Uh, what with this uh, CAF women's football strategy, although I do agree that it seems rather vague. Um, so at the end of the day, maybe this potential for growth in women's football depends on the will of the national associations, Ida. Well, it's really good to see countries waking up to the potential of the women's game. But, Steve, majority are still asleep. And this is despite the strides that have been made. I mean, we saw the Women's World Cup in 2019 establish itself as a serious commercial venture. But look, we still have to grapple with uh, women's football being, you know, a quote-unquote almost a secondary citizen in the game, so to speak. And look, Steve, as I said, I really wasn't impressed with CAF's ambiguity and its women's football strategy because there were no particular timelines offered for objectives and deliverables to be met within that four-year period. No numbers, Steve, just vision. But What is vision without specificity? I think Morocco has really set the pace for how all this should be handled. But Steve, also, you know, at the end of the day, specificity does provide boundaries within which people can be held accountable. So, you know, it's ultimately all a cycle. Uh, but the Women's 2020 Nations Cup, well, it was scrapped while the men's national team events were simply postponed. Uh, although I do know that's a debate for another day <laughs> that will lead us down a rabbit hole that we don't really have time for. But uh, the CAF Women's Champions League was introduced in its stead. And while that was welcome, very welcome, Steve, on the basis of promoting league football within the continent, what is CAF doing to cater for the women's national teams within the next couple of years. Because at the end of the day, before you know it, it will be 2023 and the Women's World Cup will be underway. 
you know, in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, as for the leagues in, um, in African countries, the women's leagues that, um, are in African countries, we have seen an influx of African players, you know, biding their time within those leagues before moving to leagues in Asia or um, the Middle East, for example, Israel is very popular and even peripheral Europe, such as Turkey, which pay well. And it's because they know that not much awaits them here. So at the end of the day, Steve, African FAs need to take the women's game more seriously. Indeed. Uh, thanks, Ida. And on social media this week, we're asking what's needed for CAF's plans for women's football to succeed. Uh, so CAF has launched this women's football strategy, calling it the dawn of a new era for the women's game on the continent. Uh, the plan includes accelerating the growth of women's football at all levels across Africa, but doesn't really have anything specific in it. Uh, so do you think that CAF's plans will succeed around the continent? And what exactly is needed for the plan? Plans to be successful. You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What's needed for CAF's plans for women's football to succeed? Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Now, last week on social media, we asked what's best for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang next season. As the Gabonese Arsenal forward became the first African captain to lift the FA Cup, there was lots of speculation over his future. Will he stay with the Gunners? Might there be a move to Real Madrid or to another club that can give him Champions League football? Well, we've had another tremendous response, and here to present your thoughts is Planet Sport Football Africa's Yvonne Mangunda. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook with Sana Jane in the Gambia, who says, Let him stay. I am sure Ateta will make big changes at Arsenal. Arinaitwe Emi in Uganda also believes Aubameyang should stay. Leaving Arsenal right now is like leaving a party before they've even served food, said Arinaitwe. What I am seeing now is a new and changing Arsenal that is going back to its winning ways. It will be better for him to stay. Trust me, he may lift something bigger next season. To what's up now, Dennis, who's also in Uganda, agrees with Arinaitwe. It's best he stays at the Emirates Stadium, says Dennis. Let him aim to help Arsenal to lift even more trophies. Esunge is in Cameroon. Aubameyang is regarded as a king at the Emirates, says Esunge. He succeeded in building a fortress in Arsenal so that many of his teammates look up to him. The fans have grown to love him too. But moving to a new club is not a guarantee that he will perform there, and so I encourage him to stay. Mokondo Harawa in Malawi agrees. Football at Arsenal is evolving and Aubameyang has been great this season, says Mukondo. His form has attracted many top teams, but a move would mean he would have to adapt to a different league altogether. And with his age, I don't think a move would be ideal now. He has developed a good understanding with his current teammates. So if he stays, he can achieve something great in the next few seasons at Arsenal. Yes, that's a good point about his age as he's now 31. And not many clubs are willing to offer a long contract to a player of that age these days. Joachim Mudaga in Uganda believes the question of whether to move or not is down to the player's own personal ambitions. If he wants happiness, 
than he found it at Arsenal, says Joachim. This probably means that he can stay, but if he wants to lift the league title and try out something new, then he should move on to some other team. Meanwhile, Alhaji Manga in the Gambia believes that staying at Arsenal could be the best option. Let him learn a lesson from Garrick Bale, Alex Song, Alexis Sanchez and others. Sometimes you will move to a new club, but the form or the luck doesn't follow and you will be forced to move elsewhere. Right now, he's having a big responsibility as Arsenal captain and no African player has ever held that position before. And let's hear from a couple of Arsenal fans, starting with Ismaila Saidi in the Gambia. As a Gunners fan, I am very much hopeful that he will sign a contract extension, says Ismaila. While Emma in Ghana says, I hope our captain stays. He will be vital for our team as we look to rebuild. But Abdullahi Chubu in the Gambia believes it is time for the Gabon striker to move on. The best thing for him, says Abdullahi, is to move to my own Manchester United. So he will play Champions League football next season. He will have Good time playing there, for sure. And more do Emma Jack, also in the Gambia, sent a voice note agreeing. He's a good striker and a fine finisher. I would refer him to join Manchester United, not Real Madrid, because right now Manchester United need a striker. When you look at history, Robin Van Persie left Arsenal for Manchester United. That very year, he won the league title with Manchester United. And whenever Manchester United buy a top striker, Russia showed that they're going to win the league. And also, there is high hope of the team winning the Champions League. So, I would prefer him to go to Manchester United, not Real Madrid. So, Modi would like to see Aubameyang heading to Old Trafford. But Mwenda Zabwe in Zambia thinks the Arsenal striker should go elsewhere. He'll be better off if he moves to Barcelona, says Mwenda. Suarez is tired and it could be a very good opportunity for him. At Real Madrid, there's strong competition and he may take a long time to shine. And Jemo in the United States agrees that a move to Camp Nou could work out well. Oba is a great forward with lots of pace and is versatile, says Jemo. I think he'll fit well in any of the top European clubs playing in the Champions League. Personally, I'd love to see him playing for Barcelona. David in the Gambia agrees it is time for Aubameyang to go. He should move to another club to win the Champions League or at least participate in it. But the Gunners is not the right club for him at all, says David. Another who feels it is time for Oba to move is David Noah, also in the Gambia. Lifting the FA Cup this season is indeed a remarkable achievement, says David. But I feel he still needs to prove himself further by playing top-flight football like the Champions League. And Real Madrid could be an excellent switch given the huge sums of money such transfers might involve. And finally, Jesse Rando in Sierra Leone says, well, I think he can make his own decision because he knows what is good for him. So there you are, Steve. Slightly more than half of our correspondents this week believe it would be best for Aubameyang to stay at Arsenal. But the arguments on both sides are compelling and it will be fascinating to see how this story ends. Well, thanks, Yvonne, and thanks to all who got in touch. And apologies if we didn't have time to read out your comment. Uh, Lots of opinions on this one. Well, let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK now. The European football keeps on coming with the Champions League mini-tournament on in Portugal. And Cameroon's Eric Maxim Chopo-Mating with a dramatic late winner to put Paris Saint-Germain into the semi-finals. 
As well as that, the new English Premier League season kicks off on the 12th of next month. And last week we looked at one of the newly promoted Premier League sides, Fulham. Uh, now, Stuart, what about Leeds United uh, going up as winners of the championship? Yes, Leeds were worthy winners of the championship, finishing 10 points ahead of West Bromwich Albion. And they are returning to the Premier League after an absence of 16 years. Now, to put this in context, Leeds is a city of just under a million people in the north of England. Leeds was a big club in the 1960s and 70s, winning the FA Cup, the League Cup. The club twice won the Intercity's First Cup, which would be the modern equivalent of the Europa League, uh, and even lost in the final of the European Cup, as the Champions League was called. And in 92... Leeds were the last winners of the English League Division 1 before it became the Premier League. But by 2004, the team was relegated from the Premier League to the Championship and three years later in 2007 got into financial difficulties, had a points deduction and dropped into what we now call League 1, the first time they had ever been in the third tier of English football and they stayed for three seasons. They had another 10 seasons in the championship before last year getting into the playoffs, not quite making it, and then getting promotion to the Premier League this year. Leeds, I think you'd have to say, has been an unstable club over 25 years with several owners and incredibly 24 different managers in the past 20 years. The current manager, Marcelo Bilsa, is a 65-year-old Argentinian He has been head coach of Argentina and of Chile and was a club manager in Spain, France and Italy for six years. But when he was appointed by Leeds in 2018, it was a strange choice given he was already 63 and with no experience whatever of English football. But he has proved to be a successful appointment, guiding Leeds, as I said, into the playoffs in his first season and back into the Premier League at the end of his second season. Leeds is a big club, attracting crowds of 35,000. That is, back in the days when spectators were allowed, of course. But in his first season at Leeds, he was involved in controversy when he admitted that he had spied on every opponent's training sessions, offering only the defence that it was not illegal. The question which has to be asked of any promoted club is, are the players good enough to survive in the Premier League? Now, the same questions could reasonably have been asked a year ago of Norwich City and Sheffield United, whose players, generally speaking, did not look good enough. Of course, we know that Sheffield United survived wonderfully, but Norwich could not. The current Leeds team has no star players and, incidentally, no Africans. Uh, But, of course, promotion to the Premier League gives them an estimated $200 million with which to strengthen the squad. Leeds may surprise us, but on paper, I think it could be a hard battle to survive. And uh, it's a long transfer window, Stuart, uh, with a bit of activity already. Now, there has been some activity, but I think the main activity is probably still to come. Manchester United will be relieved to have finally terminated the contract of Alexis Sanchez, allowing him to sign on a free transfer for Inter Milan, where he's been on loan. The significance of the transfer is that Sanchez had been on a a contract worth a staggering $500,000 a week from Manchester United. And even when he was on loan to Inter, 
United were paying some of his wages. They have now reached a financial settlement with him and got him off the payroll. Rumours continue to abound that Manchester United will sign Jadon Sancho from Dortmund, but Dortmund is saying it won't happen. Watch this space. One African signing to note is that Southampton have bought the 21-year-old Ghanaian Mohamed Salisu from Real Valladolid in Spain. And that is as a replacement for Pierre-Emil Hochberg, who has gone to Tottenham with Kyle Walker-Peters, uh, who had been on loan from Tottenham to Southampton, making his move permanent. Everton have released Omar Nias, uh, the Senegalese player, who was at the club for five years, including two loan spells. And, you know, he scored eight goals in 35 games, often off the bench. And I could never understand why he didn't get more game time, given the number of goals he was scoring in relation to the minutes he was on the pitch. But it just somehow never worked out for him. And then there's Joe Hart. You know, he played 250 games for Manchester City in goal, but then Pep Guardiola lost confidence in him, and he has just been released by Burnley, not having played all season. It's amazing how quickly Joe Hart has fallen from being the England number one goalkeeper to being out of favour and struggling to get a club. Oh, well, really tough that for Joe Hart. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Yvonne Mangunda in Harare, Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.